and welcome to Drawing a Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. We are cartoonists, scholars, and educators. On Drawing a Dialogue, we put comics into historical, theoretical, and educational contexts. I work with K-12 students in schools in addition to alternative educational settings. I have three graphic novels out. In addition to self-published works, I have a master's degree in art education. And I'm a PhD student in the University of Florida's English program. Uh, my research focuses on trans embodiment and experience in comics and zines and museum studies. I also make mostly self-published comics. Awesome. So, um... Today, on this episode of Drawing a Dialogue, we are going to be looking at white supremacy culture, which is how white supremacy shapes our everyday lives, culturally and specifically with middle and upper class institutions. Mm -hmm. So there is sort of a large capitalism component. Yeah. Uh, content warning for our audience, we will be discussing racism and aggressions in today's episode. Uh, for more of a definition... I'm just going to jump right into the words of Tema Okun, uh, author of White Supremacy Culture Still Here, which is an updated May 2021 article of her original 1999 article titled White Supremacy Culture. Culture reflects the beliefs, values, norms, and standards of a group, a community, a town, a state, a nation. White supremacy culture is the widespread ideology baked into the beliefs, values, norms, and standards of our groups, many if not most of them, our communities, our towns, our states, our nation, teaching us both overtly and covertly that whiteness holds value, whiteness is value. We are all swimming in the waters of white supremacy culture. We are all navigating this culture regardless of our racial identity. We are not all affected in the same ways. Some of us are encouraged to join and collude without awareness that an invitation has been extended. Some are invited to participate at the cost of separating ourselves from our communities and families. Some are shamed because we can never fully join no matter how hard we try. Some are denied any invitation in order to be targeted or exploited or violated. Mm -hmm. So the goal of this episode um, is to add to finding and defining the work white people need to do for anti-racism. Mm -hmm. This isn't going to be end-all or be-all of that work that white people need to do for anti-racism, as a stopping point will never exist. Since the mur police murder of George Floyd, many schools and education-based organizations have been offering anti-racism workshops and affinity groups to discuss the aggressions Black, Indigenous, and people of color face at our institutions. This also extends to comic publishing spaces as well. I'm wondering if you um, also uh, experience these sort of conversations and workshops um, at your institution, Remus? Um, to a limited degree, uh, the University of Florida is a lot more, uh, they prefer things to sort of be under the rug, so to speak. Um, mm. So, um, for example, I know a couple of my colleagues in department who work with uh, Black student groups, for instance, have been um, pushing to start a dialogue with the University of Florida about uh, the treatment of uh, Black, Indigenous, and other students of color at the University of Florida because we, um, I believe, have an F in uh, racial uh, equity <laughs> as, a, Ooh, as a college. Who gives? Yeah, who gives? Um... Uh, I That I'm not, I'd have to do some Googling, which I can do in a bit, but um, even just from like, this is a campus that has invited on multiple occasions known white supremacists as speakers. Right. Um, so, you know, it's sort of not a secret that the University of Florida is extremely um, white supremacist, not only like white centered, but white supremacist. And uh, anyway, they, over the summer, there was some dialogues and um, the president at one point expressed that he would be willing to speak with my colleagues about this, about like what's been going on. And then um, just ghosted them and like never responded to any of their emails and had a secretary be like oh sorry he's busy um so it, it's sort of 
Mm. UF's approach is honestly more just to aggressively pretend nothing is wrong than to do any mm-hmm. actual sort of like uh, diversity workshopping. Although um, I'm sure in other departments, there's things like that. Yeah. So I have been attending a lot of workshops um, through uh, my school, um, through like uh, white educators for anti-racism groups, um, as well as through, so I work at a private um, high school. And so a lot of independent schools um, experienced that um, that hashtag uh, black at blank, where it was all these black students um, on social media sharing their experience, say black at SVA, black at Parsons, um, sort of sharing their experience at these institutions um, publicly, um, anonymously, um, so a lot of private schools, um, K through 12 private schools as well, um, had similar hashtags or accounts, social media accounts. And so a lot of private and independent schools also are putting together workshops, Mm -hmm. um, to, to talk about it and uh, talk about how uh, things can be changing. So this conversation that has been happening has been happening for a long, long time. And the sense of urgency that white people suddenly felt in 2020 is actually one of the characteristics of white supremacy culture that we will be talking about, that sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. I personally have been attending a lot of these workshops and have a lot of thoughts and feelings on them. Um, And it was something that I was hoping to talk about in 2020, but I'm happy this episode has delayed um, since this uh, list has been updated by the author in Mm -hmm. May 2021. Um, I will now continue to quote from the words uh, of the author Okun. So Tima Okun, all of these words come from her. Um, She is the author of whitesupremacyculture.info. It's just a wonderful website. There's also a printable version. I'm going to be sharing that in our show notes. Well, then I will briefly interject to say um, that grade comes from a uh, USC, which I believe is the University of uh, Southern California. Um... 50 sh- if the race and equity center puts out a 50 state report card of universities mm. um yeah you, oh sorry university of southern california not carolina um and in 2018 uf was given an f and i just found the 2020 report and we've moved up to a d oh well okay so uh, we can link that in the show notes for people to check out yeah interesting mm-hmm. um look up your university in your town yeah so um I'm going to continue with the words of um, Tima Okun. She is a upper-class cisgender white woman. Um, So this is her website and her research. Um, If you continue on to the website, um, it has, like, a lot of information. I distilled it as best I could. Mm -hmm. um, But you should really go to... If if anything that we say today uh, resonates with you, um, this website would be really helpful. And also, if you are also running... um, white uh anti-racist groups Mm -hmm. um i think this would be a really valuable uh conversation to have so she says uh refusing to comply the good news is that while white supremacy culture informs us it does not define us it is a construct and anything construction constructed can be deconstructed and replaced So now I'm going to go into the list of characteristics of white supremacy culture, their definitions, and their antidotes. I'm going to list off the characteristics, and then we can go back into detail, especially any that jump out at you, Remus. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm interested in thinking about how these show up in both the comics industry and education. Um, I think we'll find a lot of connections, and when I first read this list, it was very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, I want us to see this list as a way white supremacy hurts us all, but also how the actions of individual white people can support it, and knowing that will help us fight it. Um, this list is also just, it's not as neat as the original article, so you'll see a lot of um, uh, people using this, the 1999 source um, that has a lot of a, a neater list of mm-hmm. um characteristics but you know what i accept that it's not neat work i'm happy that it was updated in 2021 because the scene has changed so much and the conversation has changed a lot um so bear with me as i read off this list um and then she has one more 
thing, a word about class. Mm-hmm. Um, these characteristics are not meant to describe all white people. They are meant to describe the norms of the white middle class and owning class culture, a culture that we are required to navigate regardless of our multiple identities. Perfectionism, one right way, paternalism and objectivity, Mm -hmm. qualified, either or and the binary, progress is bigger slash more, and quantity over quality, worship of the written word, individualism and I'm the only one, defensiveness and denial, right to comfort, fear of open conflict, and power hoarding, and urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to go into uh, some of those definitions now. Did any er- early ones jump out at you, Remus? Yeah, I um, I should say that I I'm familiar with the 1999 list. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I I have read some of uh, Tim Okun's work before. Um, and it's something I've thought about a lot in relation to like my department. Um, so the thing the things that I sort of have spent the most time thinking about are like uh, urgency and individualism and like um. I mean, all of them honestly, but like in academia, the things that sort of show up like at the top, I would say, are, like, you know, urgency and the idea that, like, you are a lone genius and the only one that can do the work that you do, mm. and, like, uh, emphasizing, again, the written word, and, like, um, yeah, basically all of these, but... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay, so, the characteristics of white supremacy culture. So, perfectionism, one r- right way, paternalism, and objectivity. Perfectionism is the conditioned belief and attitude that we can be perfect based on a standard or set of rules that we did not create and that we are led to believe will prove our value. Perfectionism is the conditioned belief and attitude that we can determine whether others are showing up as perfect and demand or expect that they do so. White supremacy culture uses perfectionism to preserve power and the status quo. Mm -hmm. As long as we are striving to be perfect according to someone else's rules, we have less energy and attention to question those rules and to remember what is truly important. Mm -hmm. So perfectionism shows up as uh, little or no appreciation expressed among people for the work that others are doing. When appreciation is expressed, it is often or usually directed to those who get the most credit anyway. Uh, More common is to point out either how the person or work is inadequate, or even more common, to talk about others about the inadequacies of a person or their work without ever talking directly to them. Um, There's more to these definitions. Mm -hmm. Um, I have shortened this considerably Mm -hmm. and so that was for perfectionism and the next one is one right way shows up as the belief that there is one right way to do things and once people are introduced to the right way they will see the light and adopt it when a person or group does not adapt or change to fit the one right way then those defining or upholding the one right way assume something is wrong about the other those not changing not with us Um, paternalism shows up as those holding power control decision-making and define things, standards, perfection, the one right way. Those holding power often don't think of it as important or necessary to understand the viewpoint or experience of those for whom they are making decisions, often labeling those for whom they are making decisions as unqualified intellectually, emotionally, spiritually or physically and objectivity shows up as the belief that there are such things as to being objective or neutral the belief that emotions are inherently destructive irrational and should not play a role in decision making or group process assigning value to the rational while invalidating or shaming the emotional when often it is not always the rational 
um, the emotion wrapped up in fancy logic and language, Mm -hmm. requiring people to think in a linear, logical fashion and ignoring or invalidating, shaming those who think in other ways, refusal to acknowledge the ways in which objectivity is used to protect power and the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have some antidotes. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on yeah. um, that list I just said. Yeah, I have two things I wanted to raise, actually. Um, the first is that, like, and I hope, like, this is more of a, like, for the audience at home, but, like, what I'm noticing, too, is that, like, even in just these four um, characteristics that you've described, you can already see the other characteristics emerging in them and, like, see how they reinforce each other. Mm -hmm. Um, so, like, the, you know, the idea that there's one right way and that, like, one, the person, one person in power is the person who sort of, like, makes that decision and leads that is also connected to the, like, the overemphasis on qualification and, like, the, the, like, there's only one person who is, like, the lone genius narrative, right? And sort of all these things. So, I can already sort of see, like, um, as we're going through this, like, the ways in which these characteristics, like, you have to sort of look at all of them. And like, if we just got rid of one, it wouldn't necessarily take out the whole system. Right. Cause these things sort of are constantly reinforcing each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to raise too, is that like, and this is more of a, like, you know, I, I know that like, uh, something I was sort of going to raise now, cause we're going to talk about this in a later episode, um, is like how this is also intersecting with, um, disability and ableism and the like, inherent relationship between um racialized capitalism and disability because um of the ways that like the premise of like ableism is comes from like settler colonialism and racism right so like um the idea that there's like one right way to do things and if someone doesn't fit that they are challenging or they're threatening to the system is something that is inherently part of like ableism in the way that disabled people are also framed as being threatening to the system so um I was um, absolutely expecting you to talk about ableism, so I made <laughs> yeah. sure to keep in points that. <laughs> oh yeah, but well, in- okay. the intersections of yeah, I mean, white supremacy culture can hurt us all in so many different ways, yeah. and the intersections of all these other identities mm-hmm. um, are are all there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, fighting white supremacy culture is valuable to everyone. Everyone, yeah, because because disability was sort of like made into or like the framework of ableism is rooted in the ways that like non-white bodies have been categorized Mm -hmm. and discarded as lesser so yeah thank you remus um so some antidotes to perfectionism the one right way and paternalism include develop a culture of appreciation take time to make sure that everyone's work and efforts are appreciated Develop a learning community or organization where the stated expectation is that everyone will make mistakes and those mistakes offer opportunities for learning and create a culture of support that recognizes how mistakes sometimes lead to positive results. So there are some on this list where I didn't go into too many of the characteristics and the Mm -hmm. antidotes, but I do have uh, definitions. Um, So the next one is qualified. This particular characteristic is internalized primarily by middle and owning class white people, formally educated, who are taught by the culture that they, in this case referring to people like me, who live in these identities, Mm -hmm. are qualified and even duty-bound to fix, save, and set straight the world. Um, She credits uh, Parker Palmer for some of these phrases. Closely aligned with dominant mainstream Christian ideology that teaches a Christian duty to convert the quote-unquote heathen, the savage, the impure. This characteristic is particularly violent both psychically Mm -hmm. and physically in its determination to ignore and or erase the culture, wisdom, genius, joy of people and communities being quote-unquote saved while seizing their land, labor, architecture, music, food, and other material goods to commodify for profit. Mm -hmm. The next uh, white supremacy culture characteristic is either or and the binary. 
This characteristic explores our cultural assumption that we can and should reduce the complexity of life and the nuances of our relationships with each other and all living things into either or, yes or no, right or wrong, in ways that reinforce toxic power. Uh, do you have any notes on qualified or the either or and the binary? Um, I Well, like I said, I, I think qualified is something that you see uh, really emerge in academia, since that is the site of formal education. Um, it's just the, you know, I think there's sort of a like emphasis on like education, European style white education being the like antidote to the world's ills, right? And mm. that plays in, I mean, obviously also like settler colonialism and stuff, but like the project of the university is part of the project of, um, settler colonialism. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about, like, how this ties to that. I'm thinking about the carceral system and um, that sort of, like, uh, toxic power of, like, you know, you decide, like, yes, no, does this person deserve life? Does this person deserve safety? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, like, all of that stuff, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Venus. Mm -hmm. So the next uh, white supremacist uh, culture characteristic is progress is bigger slash more and quantity over quality. So these characteristics explore our cultural assumption that the goal is always to be, do, get more, and be, do, get bigger. This leads to the emphasis on what we can objectively measure. How well are we doing at being, doing, getting more? As more value than the quality of our relationships to all living beings. See grading. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> grading. I actually have been thinking, I, I really included this one for the conversation around graphic novels and comics. Oh yeah, that too, right? And how um, there's such an emphasis on progress and mm -hmm. quantity over quality and and hitting numbers, right? Yeah, like you have to constantly be putting out work, you have to constantly be selling things, your books have to be selling a certain amount so that you know that like objectively you're good at what you do. Yeah, it's very numerical. Yeah, and that, and 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 what is that measure of success, right? Right, yeah. Um so progress is narrowly defined as bigger and more. It shows up as how do we define success? Success is always bigger more. Mm -hmm. Little or no ability to consi consider the cost of growth in social, emotional, psychic, uh, embodied, spiritual, and financial realms. Mm -hmm. And a narrow focus on numbers, financial, people, geography, power, without an ability to value processes, relationships, including cost to the human and the natural environment. Mm -hmm. Quantity over quality shows up as most or all resources directed toward producing quantitatively measurable goals. Things that can be counted are more of highly valued than things that cannot. Discomfort with emotion and feelings. Short-term thinking, urgency thinking, either-or thinking in the consuming effort to meet often unrealistic quantitative goals numbers. Mm. Antidotes include ensure that any cost-benefit analysis includes all the costs, not just the financial ones. For example, the cost in morale, the cost in credibility, the cost in relationship to living beings, the cost in the use of resources. Include process goals in your planning. For example, make sure that your goals speak to how you want to do your work, not just what you want to do. And distinguish between growth, which is necessary and organic, and the conditioned desire for more. More stuff, more transactional power, more people, more for its own sake. Doesn't George Carlin have a bit about that? I don't know. Is that a, <laughs> is that a comedian? Yeah, he was a, a very well-known stand-up comedian. Um, mm. Sorry, sometimes uh, I say things that remind everyone that my dad is uh, in his 70s. <laughs> I was going to say, that was very dad-ish of you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, yeah, I mean, this is really, like, interesting, too, because this, I think all of this also ties back to objectivity and the, like, emphasis on, like, objectivity as a thing that exists. Um, mm. And I think that's an interesting thing to get into because there's 
because of the way that like cultural discourse in our culture to be clear which is like you know the global north but especially like the u.s and such um like you can't really talk about that without it being framed as like anti-science or anti-progress right um which then takes it back to like can't talk about what i'm sorry like you can't talk about like the fact that ob- objectivity isn't real people because people frame that like i tell my students like there, you know there's no like writing that is objective but you know a lot of them are stem students and so they struggle with that mm. because you know we're taught that like certain things are objectively true always and if you push back against that in any way you get sort of lumped in with folks that are anti-science right um uh i see i see yeah so that's like what i always think about with this kind of stuff and like just the like the like what what like where the kinds of knowledge that are valued in our culture come from and are based on and like what other cultural knowledges are like denigrated or seen as like not objective um Mm. and as like in a way to like devalue them and make them like you know like not valuable or seen as like threatening to um what our culture has deemed to be objective Mm. let's see yeah i think i really like that sort of antidote where Mm -hmm. it talks about uh your cost benefit analysis should include all costs so it's not just financial ones but also um relationships yeah and things like that and like like what is and I, it's not saying distinguish between growth, which is necessary, and right. conditioned desire for more, right? We aren't saying yeah. don't, <laughs> right. don't progress, right? But it's a new definition of what progress should be. Right. It's it's separating the, like, white man's burdens progress from, like, mm. the you know, the fact that as people, as human beings, we grow like all living things, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. All right. So the next one is worship of the written word. This characteristic explores our cultural habit of honoring only what is written and only what is written to a narrow standard, even when what is written is full of misinformation and lies. Mm -hmm. Worship of the written word includes erasure of the wide range of ways we communicate with each other and all living things. Worship of the written word shows up as, if it's not in a memo, it doesn't exist. If it's not grammatically correct, it has no value. Mm-hmm. If it's not properly cited according to academic rules that many people don't know or have no access to, it's not legitimate. Mm-hmm. And I cut this one down a lot, um, but it's something that you and I have run into quite a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, honestly, I, I almost want to, like extend this out to comics a little bit um and and thinking about the kinds of image texts that are um allowed Mm, to be mm -hmm. like legitimized right like there's a grammar to visuals as well and images that don't follow a particular like again white european format like visual grammar are considered valueless um Mm. and yeah i don't know it's yeah (laughs) Interesting, interesting. So the next one is individualism, and I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, these characteristics look at our cultural cultural assumption that individualism is our cultural story, that we make it our own or should without help while pulling ourselves up by mm-hmm. our own bootstraps. Our cultural attachment to individualism leads to a toxic denial of our essential interdependence and reality that we are all in this literally together. Individualism individualism shows up as for white people seeing yourselves and or de- demanding to be seen as an individual and not as part of the white group for black indigenous and people of color. Individualism Individualism reinforces the classic double bind where BIPOC people are accused of not being team players. In other words, punishment or repercussions for acting as an individual if and when doing so threatens the team. Mm -hmm. Little experience or comfort working as part of a team 
which includes both failure to acknowledge the genius or creativity of others on the team and a willingness to sacrifice um, democratic and collaborative process in favor of efficiency. Mm -hmm. See double bind for the BIPOC people above. Desire for individual recognition and credit. Failure to acknowledge how what we know is informed by so many others. A lack of accountability as the organization values those who can get things done on their own without seeing supervision or guidance, unless and until doing things on our own threatens power. Mm. And this is interesting. I'll get into the antidotes in just a little bit, but I, I think it's it's interesting at the like inherent like hypocrisy of white supremacy culture, right? Yeah. Um where uh, you there's a desire for uh, the written word demands citation, right? Right. You you need to be citing your sources, um, but in individualism, you cl- you claim information for yourself. It's the colonial mindset, right? Yes. Where you claim information for yourself um, without acknowledging um, that you have been informed by others, as we mm. all have. Well, and part of that is like if you look at citation, for example, like not all citations are considered valued, right? Like, if you're citing people who aren't uh, largely also, like, white, cisgendered, upper-middle-class academics or, like, quote-unquote experts or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. even though you are participating in citation, like, those citations are considered um, not credible and thus, like, don't count. Mm -hmm. Um. Antidotes to individualism include seek to understand all the ways we are informed by our dominant identities Mm -hmm. and how our membership in dominant identity groups inform us both overtly and covertly Mm -hmm. while realizing, too, that these identities do not have to define us. Understand how membership in a dominant group, the white group, the male group, the hetero group, the wealthy group, extends psychic, spiritual, and emotional benefits, as well as material benefits. Mm -hmm. Seek to understand how these benefits are in reality toxic because our complicity with being positioned as both better and normal requires that we we dehumanize all those designated as less than and abnormal. Mm -hmm. And... Name teamwork and collaboration as an important personal and group value. Acknowledge that teamwork and collaboration make uh, take more time, particularly at the front end, and yield a better result with higher buy-in and higher ability to take shared risks. And I really like that one, last one. I think teamwork and collaboration is something I think about a lot, yeah. not just in a classroom but in comic books yeah. and comic book classrooms especially. And I really like the idea of taking it slower mm-hmm. um, and seeing the value, just taking time to see the value in that um, yeah. rather than the individual. I think it's something that uh, schools should, can really work on. Right. Well, there's like the whole, I mean, um, you know, everyone always jokes about like, oh, you're forced to do group work and everyone hates working in a group because it like makes it so hard. But like, you know, like how is the culture set up that group work isn't supported? And why do we just keep like slapping it into a system that's not designed to support it? (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So the next one is defensiveness and denial. Defensiveness and denial reflect our cultural disease with truth-telling, particularly when we are speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. White supremacy culture encourages a habit of denying and defending any speaking to or about it. Mm-hmm. White supremacy culture encourages a habit of silence about things that matter and, as the collective of artists fighting for the AIDS epidemic so wisely and succinctly said, silence equals death. I included that because uh, you have taught that, right? That taught you taught that. Yeah, I taught a course on um, artistic and activist responses to the AIDS epidemic. Cool. <laughs> it was a good class. Um, <laughs> um, defensiveness shows up as people respond to new or challenging ideas with objections or criticism, making it very difficult to raise these ideas. 
People in the organization, particularly those with power, spend a lot of energy trying to make sure that their feelings aren't getting hurt, mm -hmm. forcing others to work around their defensiveness rather than addressing them head on. Ooh. At its worst, they have convinced others to do this work for them. Aye. I've I included a lot of this because it really resonates with me. <laughs> huh. Yeah, no, the first time I read the, the 1999 um, list, I was like, what if I just printed this out and sent it to everyone? <laughs> just handed it out. Just, you know. Yeah, because like this idea of wasting your time because of other people's emotions, which is so funny because these other, again, that hypocritical nature yeah. of white supremacy, emotions are considered uh, um, useless, right? right? And they are considered not logical and aren't valued but here this def defensiveness you must work around other people's and lose energy yeah. supporting other people's feelings yeah and it's like but they don't recognize those feelings as feelings that's just like yeah it's so oh my god okay yeah um <laughs> white people spend energy defending against charges of racism instead of examining how racism might actually be happening an oppressive culture where people are afraid to speak their truth. So antidotes or suggestions for how to show up in more connecting and healing ways include understand that structure cannot in and of itself facilitate or prevent abuse. Mm -hmm. Understand the link between defensiveness and fear of losing power, losing face, losing comfort, losing privilege. Work on your own defensiveness. Ask yourself what you are defending against and why. Um, denial shows up as just what it sounds like. Denying what a another person is saying about the ways in which white supremacy and or racism are showing up in an interaction or space. A pattern that often has a white person with different levels of power denying what a black, indigenous, or person of color in a whole community is saying about their experience of racism. Claiming the right to define what is and what is not racism. Refusing to consider or acknowledge that historical legacy of white supremacy and racism and the structural nature of racial disparities. Mm -hmm. Rewriting, reframing, or omitting histories to erase or downplay racism. Antidotes include, assume that any naming of racism is on target. Instead of asking, is it or isn't it racism, ask, how is it racism? Understand deep in our bones that naming racism is the first step toward repair. Learn to acknowledge that any fear that naming brings up, the, that the feeling is not wrong or right, so that you can move through the feeling and address what is being raised. For white people, avoid taking accusations of racism or collusion and racism personally. Avoid defending yourself. Learn to say, Tell me more. Understand your racism or your collusion with racism as conditioning, not as who you essentially are. Understand that awareness of your conditioning is necessary if you are going to change and grow. Call yourself and others in, not out. Mm -hmm. We will not grow the movement through shame and blame, even though shame and blame are necessary elements for our own individual and personal development. Mm -hmm. We will grow the movement by holding each other accountable from a position of care, kindness, and love. Sometimes we have to employ tough love, and always the goal is to avoid throwing ourselves or anyone else away. Thanks to our beloved Cynthia Brown for this instruction. Know our history. Learn our history. Understand how racist patterns repeat over and over again. Take the time to learn where you live and work and love and the indigenous people of the history, indigenous history of the peoples who lived and worked and loved there before you or live there now. Take the time to know both the history of white supremacy patterns and the stories of resistance and resilience. Plant yourself in the river, in the river of resistance and resilience. Mm -hmm. And so that was the se the section for defensiveness and denial. And this is, um, I, I just, I think that there's just a lot of work on personal growth and yeah. for, for thinking about how you, how you respond, right? 
how how can you acknowledge that I, I just really like that phrase assume that any naming of racism is on target instead of asking is it or isn't it racism ask how yeah is it racism i mean i i think like all of this also leads really well right into um conflict which i know is the next one so yes okay uh so the next one is right to comfort fear of open conflict and power hoarding these characteristics focus on our cultural assumption that I or we or the ones in formal and informal power have a right to comfort, which means we cannot tolerate conflict, particularly open conflict. Mm-hmm. These assumption, this assumption supports the tendency to blame the person or the group causing discomfort or conflict rather than addressing the issues being named. Right to comfort shows up as... The belief that those with power have a right to emotional and psychological comfort, mm-hmm. another aspect of valuing logic over emotion, scapegoating those who cause discomfort, for example, targeting and isolating those who name racism rather than addressing the actual racism that is being named, feeling entitled to name what is and isn't racism, antidotes or suggestions for how to show up in more connecting and healing ways. Mm-hmm. Understand that discomfort is at the root of all growth and learning. I think that one's, I'm going to say that again. Understand that discomfort is at the root of all growth and learning. Mm-hmm. Welcome discomfort and learn to sit with discomfort before responding or acting. Avoid taking everything personally. Welcome honest and hard feedback as the gift it is. Knowing that people could so easily choose to stay silent and talk about you behind your back, rather than gift you with their truth about how your attitudes and or behavior are causing a problem. Mm -hmm. Remember that feedback and criticism may be skillful or unskillful, skillful, and either way, it will not kill you. Mm-hmm. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> You're doing good! I, it's just, it's really, I mean, that's just really powerful, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's easy, and I think it's constantly, I mean, this is the work, this feels like it's the work of, the white, of white people, right? Right. Where you're like, you're criticizing others, but yeah. in that criticism of others, you are criticizing yourself. Right, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, it's a group effort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really uh, powerful. I just, um, yeah. The and also like framing it around the specifically like calling in and the importance of like community accountability and things like that, as opposed to just like I don't know, dogpiling random people you don't know on Twitter. Well, I mean, this goes right into the carceral carceral yeah. thinking work that we have always been doing on this podcast as well, right? Where yeah, um. Yeah, like, uh, sitting back and being like, oh, this is criticism that I'm receiving, and this is a gift. I feel like it's always, like, um, like, it is labor to come to someone. It is. It is work. Especially if that person is in, like, a more, like, marginalized position. Yeah, absolutely. But that, I think, I think I could print off that list. (laughs) Keep it on a... (laughs) 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 Um... Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's very powerful. Okay, it is. Um, so fear of open conflict shows up as people in power are scared of expressed conflict and try to ignore or run from it. When someone raises an issue that causes discomfort, the response is to blame the person for raising the issue rather than to look at the issue, which is actually causing the problem. Mm-hmm. Emphasis or insistence on being polite. Setting the rules for how ideas or information or differences of opinion need to be shared in order to be heard. In Mm -hmm. other words, requiring that people calm down if they are angry when anger often contains deep wisdom about where the underlying hurt and harm lies. Equating the raising of difficult issues with being impolite, rude, or out of line. Pushing people either overtly or subtly from speaking out about their truth and or experience. Labeling emotion as irrational or anti-intellectual or inferior, which means failing to recognize the importance of emotional intelligence. 
So antidotes are suggestions for how to show up in more connecting and healing ways. Distinguish between being polite and raising hard issues. Don't require those who raise hard issues to raise them in acceptable ways, especially if you're using the ways in which issues are raised as an excuse to not address them. Mm -hmm. Develop your emotional intelligence so you can tell when you are hiding your emotions with the excuse that you are being rational. Assume that everyone has a very good reason for their position and seek to lift those up to the light of day. Once a conflict is resolved, take the opportunity to revisit it and see how it might have been handled differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think open conflict, I think, uh, <laughs> I think it was a tweet I saw, or maybe it was um, from something in person, but I, the uh, quote, white people can't handle a real talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one, I think about that a lot. Like, uh, like, um, the, op the opportunity that real talk is where you aren't trying to dance around anything mm -hmm. and you can just openly conflict and how that isn't necessarily a negative thing, right? Because right. you're working together. It has that teamwork quality about it. Yeah, I always think of um, Mia Mingus, who's a, a disability activist, a woman of color disability activist. Um, she she wrote a post once about um, like how to give an apology, basically, like what like apology. And she was like, the mm. only way to get good at giving apologies is to practice giving apologies by like <laughs> by like you know making mistakes and then apologizing for those mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. and I always thought that was like a really powerful way of thinking about it. Right. It's like, no, this is like, you will, you will be doing this. So you have to practice, <laughs> you have to practice how to apologize because everyone causes like hurt, you know, everyone, everyone's is involved in conflict. Right. Right. And then, and then the, is conflict an emergency, right? Yes. Like, that's, that's what we can control. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, power hoarding shows up as little, if any value sh around sharing power. Power seen as limited, only so much to go around. Those with power feel threatened when anyone suggests changes in how things should be done in the organization. Often feeling suggestions for change are a reflection on their own leadership. Mm -hmm. Those with power assume they have the best interests of the organization at heart and assume, assume those wanting change are ill-informed, stupid, Emotional, inexperienced, blaming the messenger rather than focusing on the message. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't slow down for this one, but power hoarding, I think, is a really key one to me. Yeah. Um, because oftentimes you'll see, and this is a, this is a conversation that's happening a lot now. It happens in schools, but it also happens in publishers yes. and video games and all sorts of other, any sort of organization where. There was this big push the last couple of years to hire people of color into these industries, um, but often people of color are um, hired at um, lower ranks, right? They are employees rather than, and often bosses are the ones with um, the power and are often white. And then this power hoarding takes place, right? The, this lack of, um, this, 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 feeling threatened when anyone suggests change right even though that would be the idea mm -hmm. of why you wanted to hire people of color in the first place right yeah <laughs> which obviously shouldn't be why you're hiring people right? right you shouldn't be hiring people you should hire people because jobs are you know right you shouldn't be because of the problems that you ha can see in your um industry um but then uh but then this power hoarding happens. Right. And any suggestions for change feel like an attack. Right. Um, I've seen it a lot. I don't know if you've seen it a lot, Remus. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen it a lot. And I think this can show up. I, I think this can show up for people who are older yes. in a scene in an industry as well, right? Mm -hmm. You feel like um, people who are younger than you um, don't are ill-informed and they right. don't they don't have the experience to really make suggestions on this stuff. And that is also power hoarding. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so antidotes to power hoarding include, uh, include power sharing as an explicit organizational or community value. Discuss and define what good leadership looks like and include how a good leader develops the power and skills of others. Um, if you are a leader and or hold power, 
Understand that change is inevitable and challenges to your leadership are often healthy and productive. Mm -hmm. Adopt the tell me more approach to challenges. Allow yourself to feel the joy in helping others grow, thrive, succeed, and even exceed you. Make sure the organization is focused on the vision, mission, and values rather than staying in business for the sake of staying in business. Yeah, that's another one that I find uh, really, really resonates with um, my experiences. Yeah. <laughs> and the last one um, is the last uh, white supremacy culture characteristic is urgency. A constant sa- sense of urgency reflects our cultural habit of applying a sense of urgency to our everyday lives in ways that perpetuate power imbalance while disconnecting us from our need to breathe and pause and reflect. Then irony is this imposed sense of urgency serves to erase the actual urgency of tackling racial and social injustice. A constant sense of urgency makes it difficult to take time to be inclusive, Mm -hmm. encourage democratic and or thoughtful decision making, to think and act long term, and or to consider consequences of whatever action we take frequently results in sacrificing potential allies for quick or highly visible results. For example, sacrificing the interests of black, indigenous, and people of color and communities in order to win victories for white people, um, seen as the default or norm community, Mm -hmm. reinforces existing power hierarchies that use the sense of urgency to control decision-making in the name of expediency, and privileges those who process information quickly or think they do. Mm -hmm. And this characteristic of white supremacy is challenging because we understand that racial justice and equity is urgent. Mm -hmm. White supremacy and racism threaten, target, and violate BIPOC people and communities every day. White supremacy and racism invite and condition us into toxic thinking and behavior every day. We are called on with this characteristic to hold the volatile and tender contradiction of an underlying urgency about our immediate need for justice, which is with us always with the day-to-day sense of urgency that is too often defines our organizational and community cultures, leading to the consequences listed above. White supremacy culture is not urgent about racial justice. White supremacy culture is urgent in the name of short-term power and profit. Mm -hmm. And white supremacy culture likes to engender a culture of urgency in those of us who are working to dismantle it because it knows that living with a constant sense that everything is urgent is a recipe for the abuse of power and burnout. This, I, I, this, as I touched upon in the introduction, when I talked about the sense of urgency that suddenly all these white institutions were having after George Floyd was murdered mm-hmm. um, in 2020 and how it had to do with saving face a lot of the time. Yeah. And how it was like, well, we are ha- we are being told all these things that we have done wrong in the past, and this could challenge our bottom line. Right. And maybe that is a cynical way of thinking about it, but where did the sense of urgency come from? Yeah. Right? Because it is urgent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> racial Racial justice is urgent. There are people dying. Right. And I think of this also in, like, we see this in publishing and comics in particular in illustration right. constantly of like, um, you know, the, there'll be a huge push to buy like diverse books. And then, you know, all these companies have books, you know, from artists and then they don't actually have the infrastructure to support those artists. And they just want to like push out these books without any support on a really short exploitative timeline. And it's not actually about like, addressing issues of inequality in like publishing it's just about like they can be like oh well we put out like six books by black people this year or like whatever you know what i mean Mm -hmm. without actually doing any underlying work to change like what caused the problem in the first place right 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 and 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 this that sense of urgency um is a distraction right is a way of abuse of power of of creating burnout yes right we need this now and it's isn't the actual kind of change that is needed yes yeah yeah um antidotes to a sense of urgency include 
Realistic work plans based on the lived experience of the people and organization involved. Leadership who understands that everything takes longer than anyone expects. A commitment to equity, including a commitment to discuss and plan for what it means to embed equity practices into the work plan. A commitment to learn from past experience how long things take. Mm -hmm. A collaborative development of realistic funding proposals with realistic timeframes. Clarity ahead of time about how you will make good decisions in an atmosphere of urgency, including clarity about what constitutes a good decision. And understanding that rushing decisions takes more time in the long run because inevitably people who didn't get a chance to voice their thoughts and feelings will at best resent and at worst undermine a decision they were left unheard. Mm -hmm. And developing a personal and collective practice of noticing when urgency arises and taking a pause to deliver to deliberate with thoughtfulness and intention about the nature of the urgency and the range of options available to you. And so that is the list of white supremacy culture characteristics. I'm going to go through the list again, and then we're going to talk about our conclusions. Um, So that list, again, is perfectionism, one right way, paternalism, and objectivity, qualified, either or, and the binary, Progress is bigger and more and quantity over quality. Worship of the written word. Individualism and the I'm the only one. Defensiveness and denial. Right to comfort. Fear of open conflict and power hoarding. And urgency. So it is now time for our conclusion. What did we learn? What are our goals? And what are, do we want our takeaways to be? Do you have any thoughts, Remus? I mean, for me, I think, like, one of the key takeaways here is, like, I, and part of what uh, Okun is, like, pushing is that to, like, really think about, like, where you see these characteristics emerge in your life, like, right, like, where you mm-hmm. work, where you're at school, like, whatever you're doing. Um, I mean, they're, you know, they're very institutionally oriented, but then there's also, like, individual the ways we sort of internalize these ideas individually um, and push ourselves, you know, regardless, but like, then especially as a white person, the like, you have to be willing to do labor, right? Like you can't just, it's not enough to say that you're anti-racist, like anti-racism is a constant um, uh, pushing back, right? Constant deliberate Mm -hmm. pushing back um, that is exhausting. Like you have to be ready Mm -hmm. to do that work. Um, Like I've talked about, or I, I, not like on here, but like I've talked, I have talked with friends before about how like being in the academy and the reason why I can't, I know I'm not like staying in academia long term is like in order for me to survive and feel as though I'm living a ethical existence, I have to constantly always be in a position of pushing back um for anything Mm. i want to do like there's no Mm -hmm. if you relax even for like a minute you will get pushed into something um that like is in line with these characteristics right because again the urgency Mm. the like like so you have to always 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 like especially like i mean especially as like a white person like i have seen the ways in which like uh people in my department have tried to position me in certain ways uh over like other people and being like like, no, I'm not going to mm. let you do that. But it requires, again, sort of just, like, being in a constant state of pushing back. And mm-hmm. um, that's, like, untenable long term. And that's why, I mean, I don't want to, like, speak for everyone else, but I suspect that has a lot to do with why a lot of people burn out, like, myself included. Because mm-hmm. um, you just can't, you can't spend your entire life having to constantly fight for the most basic... Um, like recognitions of other ways of being a human you know yeah and i think um that goes to show how these uh antidotes that we talked about um need to be part of like board of trustees and like heads of schools and people in power need to be the ones who are challenging these things yes it needs to be a structural thing yeah it can't be uh from 
individuals. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and it's like it's that's like a frustrating thing to say because again, the like characteristic of individualism, everyone's like you know you kind of get that like message is, that gets internalized of like oh like it's on you to like make your circumstances better or whatever, but like you, one individual person can't and shouldn't be the sole change maker because that's not sustainable. No, it needs to be a group. It needs yeah. to be teamwork. It needs to be collaborative. Yeah, and I and I think that's something that I really take out of this um, is the value of collaboration and the value mm-hmm. of listening to each other and holding each other up and finding joy in that is something that we should always be striving for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a conclusion that I really get to is revisiting these. Yes. Revisit them often. Mm-hmm. Um, see how you have participated mm-hmm. in white supremacy culture see how um your organization participates and honestly if you have i have and I'm, I'm sure we will talk about this in future drawing a dialogue episodes um if you don't have any groups if you are a, <laughs> if you aren't working with other white people to talk about anti-racism and to work through these things without putting more labor on the people of color in your life right you should be doing that yeah yeah. <laughs> if you are a white person, you should be doing this work. Yeah. On your own with other it, white people. Yeah, if you're a, if you're a white person, you need to be talking about anti-racism with other white people. Yes. Like <laughs> um and, and 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 you should be doing it often and you should be doing it yes. regularly. Yes. <laughs> because um that is the nature of power, right? Yes. The nature of power is comfort. It mm-hmm. is it is settling. It is uh falling into that privilege. And as a white person, I am susceptible to it. Oh, yeah. As are all white people. Um, so thank you so much. For <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing this um, to the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't say anything about the new format. Um, but next time Remus will be taking the lead. I took the lead on this one. Next time it's going to be Remus's turn. Yeah, so... Um, and thank you to Downtown Boys for their song Wave of History. It's off their album Full Communism. Um, you can get it off their band camp. Um, so I have a education website, comicarted.com, and you can, that is also hosts drawingadialogue.com, so you can view citation for this podcast, you can view easily printable versions, you can get more information on white supremacy culture, mm-hmm. um, it's a wonderful resource. Yeah. Um, you can also email us at uh, drawingadialogue.com at gmail.com. Uh, nope. Drawingadialogue at gmail.com. That's the one. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, we are always, it's a dialogue, right? We are always open to getting emails. Um, we're always interested in talking with folks, um, you know, bringing them up on the show if we get them to. Um, mm-hmm. you can yeah. follow us on Twitter at draw a dialogue. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, Remus Maurice, which is R E M U S M A U R I C E. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kathy G John C A T H Y G J O H N. Um, so Kathy, what are you reading? Oh, I just finished Shadow Life. Oh, Hiromi Goto and Anne Shu. Um, I said Anne's last name, right? I think Anne's last name is X U, Mm -hmm. so I pronounced it Shu, but I'm not sure if that is incorrect. Um, but it is a wonderful book. It is a new graphic novel out. Um, for I think it's been out for a couple of months. It came out in 2021. Um, it is from uh first second. Mm -hmm. It is just a lovely book about um. Starring an uh, elderly Japanese Canadian woman mm-hmm. who is fighting the shadow of death that is following her, and it's really cool. It's really tough. <laughs> yeah, it's been and that's been on my list. I need to get it, but Anne's art is like gorgeous, so I'm really excited. Yeah, it. yeah. Anne Anne is. Uh, we are friends with Sunmi. I don't know Anne personally, but I know Sunmi helped work on it and. Yeah, I roommates I've, with Anne for a long time. Yeah, and I've met Anne. We're not like I don't, we're like acquaintances, but I've met her. She's cool. Yay! All right, I, I just finished that up. But what are you reading, Remus? 
Um, well, aside from, you know, my my continued love affair with the Warrior Cats, I'm slowly easing back into dissertation mode. So I've been picking through um, C. Riley Snorton's Black on Both Sides, um, mm. which is about the relationship between um, blackness and particularly um, the configuration of blackness during uh, chattel slavery and the founding of America, founding of the U.S., um and transness and how contemporary transness um like lineages of contemporary transness can be like traced through the position of blackness and also disability he sort of talks about all of those things together oh that sounds wonderful oh it's it's fantastic i'm on i hope you tell the audience about it someday in a future episode (laughs) yeah i'm on a i've been um I'm, i'm working on building like containers for doing work so i can only like I have a disc coach who I work with, so I only read for school 40 minutes a week, mm. which is great for me mentally, but also I'm like, oh, but I want to get back to reading. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, and thank you for listening to Drawing a Dialogue. Uh, my name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. Solid Bye. Bye.